This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker with Georgia Athanasio, an on-demand CFO for startups and also an angel investor. And in this episode, we'll talk about who is an on-demand CFO and who actually needs that kind of CFO. And also we'll talk about the major financial terms that every startup founder should know. So Georgia, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on your role as an on-demand CFO. Sure. So, well, good morning, Constantine, and thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your um, followers. Um, so my education is in accounting and business, and I'm a licensed CPA. I started my career in banking, and I moved into high tech because I loved all the cool and disruptive technologies um, being developed by these you know, startup companies and young companies, and I wanted to be involved in high tech. And but I still loved working with numbers. So I've run finance for a few startups through various stages of their growth. I found uh, that I enjoy working with early stage startups. I just found that was the most fun stage through um, of their development, at least for me. So I started Bay Area CFO Consultants about five years ago, and we serve early stage startups as their on-demand or fractional CFO. And what that means is I work with a portfolio of four to five startups at a time, and I run the financial function for those companies. Um, it's, it's really a cost-effective solution because once companies start getting funding or they're growing quickly or that sort of thing, they really do need a certain level of expertise that I can provide but they don't really need it full time. And sometimes it's one day a month, sometimes it's a couple of days a week. It just really varies where the company is and how complicated they are. So that, um, and that is how I came to be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Got it. So since this episode, I mean, since this show is called Fundraising Radio, let's begin from the fundraising. So you mentioned that once the company begins fundraising, sometimes they do need a CFO. So can you explain what's your role as a part-time CFO uh, in a fundraising process? What do you do there? Sure. In the fundraising process, well, let me talk a little bit about what I do in general first, and then I'll jump into the fundraising. Is that okay? Sounds good. Sure. Okay, great. So my job um, in working with these startup companies really to stay on top of the number so that surprises are avoided. I don't think there's anything worse than an investor wants to see or uh, a founder wants to see as some big surprise like, oh no, there's no cash in the bank or what happened to our cash um, balance and you know why are we so off of um, a plan? So that is the the one number one thing that that people like me provide to companies. And um, so it's really, and it's to manage the company's finances and put the proper financial controls in place. Um, you know, I also create a financial roadmap or plan to guide companies through their growth, short, medium, and long term. And that would include, you know, modeling different financial scenarios based on, you know, what the founder and management team think, you know, think the company can do. We, you know, putting in a budget, putting in cash flow management, which is, you know, super important. Um, and then reporting to, um, you know, financial reporting with plan to actual numbers with key metrics for a company. And it's also super important 
for me as the CFO to communicate financial results to the CEO, the board and the management team often, and especially if they already have some, some sort of financing. So for those companies in the pre-fundraising stage, it's just something you need to know that you'll need to do when you um, start um, fundraising. And I work, um, I work with early stage startups. So the main driver of fundraising in, for that stage of a company's life is the CEO. So the CEO is really heading up the process. And that's been what I have found all throughout my work with startups. Um, and I, as a CFO, work with the CEO and the management team um, to put together the financial plan that will tell the company's financial story to potential investors. It's also to stress test the assumptions in those plans and to make sure um, it make, they make sense because investors will try and poke holes in your assumptions and your plan. And you just wanna make sure that it's defendable. Um, you know, I'll work with the founder to determine what kind of capital they wanna raise. Do they want convertible notes, safe notes, priced equity? Again, that's gonna depend on what stage of the company they're at and if there are, you know, what and what makes sense and who they're trying to raise money from. If they're angels, it'd probably be a convertible note. If it's VC funded, it might be a, you know, it might be a, a priced round. Um, also, make introductions where I can. Um, you know, there's no guarantees, but I do have a network and I try and use it when I can to help people do, um, to make introductions. And then participate in due diligence. So that's that's usually a big piece of what I do to help um, my clients is, you know, with the due diligence and, and reviewing, um, you know, investor requests and things like that. Mm -hmm. Got it. And here I want to talk about probably my favorite subject, failure. <laughs> Let's talk about the major mistakes that you see founders make uh, when they you know, when they drive their company with no CFO in it. Well, I think um, the biggest mistake I see early on is that they don't hire good financial people to put the right financial systems in place. Early on, um, you know, the story I hear most is it's overhead, I don't want to pay, I could hire a marketing person or I can hire another engineer or whatever. And what I found is that it could end up costing companies more to get their financials cleaned up on the back end than if they had put a little bit of money in on the front end. Um, and they're going to need clean books and good financial systems if they're going to be out raising capital. And I think this is particularly important if they're raising with, um, you know, trying to raise venture money. And in the super, you know, in the early stages, you don't really need a CFO to set up good financial systems. You can, you know, there's plenty of good bookkeepers and accountants who work on a part-time basis. Um, I mean, it's nice to have the oversight of a CFO, but if you're, you know, before fundraising, if you're, you know, just make sure you have good people in place and there's, you know, and you don't usually need them full-time. And um, what I found is that not having good financial systems and tracking normally results in a cash crunch. Um, and cash, cash flow is always the biggest point I see with startups. And so start early and take care of your cash. I, um, you know, that's usually, I usually get called in when cash is a problem. So, um, and sometimes it's too late. So I would urge people and founders to, to, to look ahead even as they're in the earlier stages and do it right. Mm -hmm. Right. So you mentioned uh, cash tracking, uh, basically CRM. What's your recommendation on that? Would you recommend some 
software, some tool that would really help uh, startup founders to do that by themselves to avoid those, you know, uh, like after several months after fundraising, figuring out that like, hey, where did two hundred thousand dollars go? What could you could you recommend something? Sure. So, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you 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 don't need so cash flow is really important, and cash flow forecast to me is one of the primary tools that you know, a startup should have in their portfolio of financial tools. And as I said, they should get that, you know, they should get these things set up early on. Um, you know, there's plenty of free Excel templates online. Um, let's say you want to do a weekly cash flow forecast as you're getting to, um, you know, you've got some money in the bank, you want to be very careful how you're spending it. And you can, you know, if if I if the founder's financially savvy, or if they have a financially savvy person on their team, or they can reach out to an outside accountant, um, you can put a very simple cash flow forecast and financial plan plan in place and do it early, even before you raise money. So 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 what I'm getting at is they should be developing good habits early. Um, there's plenty of free Excel templates online. So I would urge um, the founders listening to this podcast to Google cash flow forecast templates. You can also Google financial projection templates, you know, do a high level um, financial projections from the beginning, even before you're ready for a CFO or, um, or raising money. Mm-hmm. Nice. Would you recommend any books on that, probably, or some like guides that would help them, uh, you know, gather the thoughts together, basically? Yeah, there's so Guy Kawasaki is a, you know, he's a legend in the startup world. He's been working with startups since the 80s, and he has a website. So I would Google Guy Kawasaki, and I'm going to talk about Guy a little bit later as well when we talk about pitch decks, but he has some good templates available and he has one that's a really good template for for financial um projections and office a microsoft office also has templates and i found a good weekly and monthly cash flow template in microsoft office tools so they're there you know and they and they actually show you how you you know how a person would fill that out and again at some point in time you know these companies are going to be ready for a cfo things get really complicated very quickly once they start growing and stuff but you know i'm urging the earlier earlier stage companies to start early and get some good financial um controls and procedures and, and tracking in place Mm-hmm. Nice. I actually just Googled Guy uh, Kawasaki, so I'll make sure that I include uh, that specific article in the description of this episode. So it describes you how to, you know, how to make the financial projections, how to use mm-hmm. the template of Guy Kawasaki himself. So it should be really useful. So yeah, if you need to do that, uh, definitely check out the link in the description of this episode. Um, okay, next question that I want to ask you is the term so of course people can research it people can google you know when they run into some word they don't know or some term they don't know they can always ask but if that happens on the meeting that's really embarrassing so what's your like top five terms that uh, any founder should know in the finance well there's a couple things i'm going to put out there because um so the main terms founders need to understand these days because we're in a different world than we were five years ago or two years ago even one is they need to really understand cash flow and they need to understand their cash flow. And 
And then they also need to understand that they eventually need to get to profitability. Um, and, and they need to understand how these terms work within the context of their business. You know, in the past, you know, investor focus has shifted away from revenue growth. So as a founder, they need to focus on, on building a sustainable business. So that's, you know, that will eventually be profitable. And, and that's where I think people are focused these days. The other thing they need to understand are the key financial drivers in their industry. Um, you know, what is driving the business? What is driving my industry? My background is in sensors sensor networking, and so that's a hardware software product. Um, so I would be looking at, and this is what, if you were in that type of company, your investors would be talking about, you know, better know what your pipeline is. You better know what your bookings are. You better know what your revenue, cost of goods sold, your margins, you know, what are you projecting those numbers to be if you haven't finished developing your product? Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So know what drives your business and know what those numbers are. I think that's really, really important. And you should do that before you even step into a um, into an investor meeting. And finally, you know, they should just have a basic understanding of financial statements. Um, you don't need to be a CPA. You don't need to be an expert, but just know how these statements work and how they flow. And there's probably our classes on LinkedIn you can take or other places that just give you a you know financial back you know some financial background for non-financial people so i would recommend maybe taking one of those maybe an hour i don't think they're very long right that's actually good advice and i'm like 100 100 sure that there are such good videos out on the web i will not include links to those you can find them by yourself i believe in you guys um so next question that i wanted to discuss with you is uh bringing in the cfo so on-demand CFO, even though it's part-time, I imagine it's still pretty costly. So at which stage can or should the company bring in the CFO and how much can that cost? What's the range there? So when companies bring in an on-demand CFO, they should have at least raised some level of financing. I mean, that is my recommendation. Somewhere between a seed round and an A round, and you know maybe the CFO helps them raise the A round. Sometimes the seed rounds are a little less demanding from a financial standpoint because I think angels and people like that who are normal participants in a seed round are a little more interested in the team and the technology and the solution. But when you're starting to raise an A round, now you're starting to talk to venture capitalists, and so then I think it's going to, you know, then you're going to have to show up. Um, you know, more where, where more complexity comes in and you're going to have to do a lot more digging and, and explaining and, and understanding. So I think somewhere between the seed round and the A round um, is a good place for um, a CFO to come in. Now, the CFO cost can be, I mean, if a company is growing and they're growing really quickly and they've got the money, it could cost a lot, but sometimes, you know, in some cases with my clients, I'm only in there about um, four hours a month. You know, it might be a couple hours a week. It could be uh, maybe it's a quarterly review. It just really depends on the company and where they're at. So it could cost anywhere from, you know, $1,000 a month up. You know, if you need, you know, help on a two or three days a week, then that's going to cost more. 
but I think it really just depends on where you are. And if you have good financial people in place, so let's say you have a good controller level person or good accounting, you know, good bookkeeping slash accounting firm that can help, you know, these aren't CPA who run, you know, who do audits and do taxes. These are firms that are focused on startups. They're focused on bookkeeping and accounting for startups. And um, they're, um, you know, and they take care of a lot of the day-to-day business so that the CFO doesn't need to spend as much time with your company and then you're really getting good value for it for the money. Mm-hmm. But what's the average price range that that you regularly see? So like oh, is it from five hundred dollars to ten thousand dollars? Is it from like yeah, three thousand I mean, to <laughs> no it's not that much. It can depend you know it really depends for an early stage startup. It it could be anywhere from three to six thousand a month. Mm-hmm. And that would just really, again, it depends on how much help they need, how big they're growing. Now, if they're growing pretty quickly and they're and they're fairly, you know, they've got some revenue, the revenue is growing pretty quickly and we need to keep, you know, you need to keep tabs on a lot more things and, and, and things get more complicated, then it's going to be more. It, it may be 20 hours a month or it may be, um, you know, 30 hours a month. But one of the things I found is that when my time gets to be two or three days a week, then we start looking for a more um, permanent solution in terms of a bringing in a full-time person because then they will get more bang for their buck with that person. Oh, nice. So, so you actually help them find a yeah, full-time oh, CFO. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, my job is to keep them going in that in-between stage between early stage startup and when they need to hire a full-time person. So I, do, um, you know, so I manage it, but then there comes a point, you know, like everything where, you know, I've worked myself out of a job. I need to um, help them find a full-time person. They're growing super quickly. They just need that full-time attention. And my mm-hmm. job, yeah. And, and, you know, and then, you know, I can help find that person. I can help transition that person, bring them up to speed and all those things. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. So, let's talk a little bit more about the price of this so i personally was asked uh, to do the financial projections as a person with a financial background and i was asked uh, to do that by like really really early stage companies that were thinking of you know seed round i mean pre-seed round and they yeah. were just hoping to show off a little bit like showing hey we have financial projections our competitors don't <laughs> so uh what's your advice to those people how can steel do the whole thing by themselves except for using that template have you ever done like an investment in a company where you basically put in your time and in return you get equity in the company have you done that i have done stock options usually it's a you know normally i i work for cash just because it's you know working with early stage startups is sort of a risky business and um you know i've taken some equity at some points in time um but I think if you, but let me just offer some advice for the person doing the high level. Um, I think if you're super early stage and you're um, just trying to get some financial plan in place, I think using those templates is a good way to start. You may not need to pay a, um, you know, for like all the bells and whistles and stuff like that initially. And I say that because I've had clients actually raise money that way, where we did just a very simple, you know, you know, these are the projections, we've got revenue, this is what we're thinking, this is how much we want to raise, this is how much the, um, you know, the investment we're seeking is going to help us, 
you know, ramp up to, um, and it could be very high level. So you could just do, you know, they could, you could probably do a super high level um, financial plan. It doesn't need to be, you know, with all the bells and whistles. Now, once you start getting into VC funding, you're going to want to, um, you know, now, now you need to start looking at a more complex and, you know, assumption driven plan. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's actually a good point. When you're like pre-seed stage, you definitely do not need a sophisticated uh, financial plan because it just looks weird. That's it. <laughs> so, well, and, you know, um, Constantine, I mean, to be honest, financial, and I'll talk about this a little bit later too, if we, um, if we have time, but, you know, the financial plan is going to change. So before they start raising money and they, you know, it's good to have the discipline. I, I, I encourage your, your listeners to do that, but I also encourage them to think it through, but also it's kind of like doing an outline. You're just doing it on a high level to start. And then, you know, you fill in the details as, as you know more. Right, right. That's true. So um, let's talk a little bit about the alternative sources of capital. So right now, this topic is really popular as uh, after, I mean, during the coronavirus, basically traditional investors really didn't put much cash into the new startups and people were just trying to find new alternative sources of capital. What's your what's your advice on that? What, what are your favorite alternative sources of capital? Yeah, so there's um, so there are there are choices. So there's a couple things that I um like so for me my favorite uh, source of capital that's non-dilutive is the national science foundation grants so they're sbir grants and those are for science and engineering based startups to commer to commercialize technically risky ideas they're non-dilutive you can raise up to um 1.75 million dollars and um but you have to be solving a science or engineering based problem. So it's not something that everyone would qualify for. But if you have some sort of, um, you know, science or engineering problem you're trying to solve, that's definitely something you should look at. Um, what I would encourage your listeners to do is Google Seed Fund NSF, and it's going to take you to their website. Um, so that's I've worked with, you know, I work with sensor networking companies and other um, you know, kind of deep technology type companies. So I've worked on National Science Foundation grants a few times and I just have, you know, I found them to be um, a great way for a company to get started. Um, the other thing I'm seeing a lot of is, so there's pitch, you know, obviously pitch events being done virtually now um, are actually being very well attended by investors because at least the ones I've been sitting in on have been very helpful and they've gotten very good attendance and the angel groups I've been sitting in on have gotten very good attendance by investors. And I would recommend the listeners to, you know, get their, get your pitch together, get it, get it working properly. I mean, sometimes they have prize money they can provide exposure to investors and now that they're virtual you know you get people from all over the world attending these events and the one i particularly like and and am familiar with it's called pitch force and it is um put together by a um angel named max shapiro um and it's very you know and i think he had a couple hundred people there the other day they did a, an event 
but it's a great way to get exposure. They provide you with guidance and things like that. So that's another, that's one thing. The other would be maybe an accelerator incubator. Sometimes they'll provide seed money in exchange for equity, and they also provide some training and mentorship. So that's, I mean, it's not gonna be a ton of seed money, but there's usually some sort of seed money involved. Um, you know, due to COVID, companies like Google and Facebook are making grants available. Uh, if you're an underserved, uh, um, you know, entrepreneur, like people of color or under, you know, or you're serving underrepresented um, markets, there, I know that a lot of the, the tech companies are carving out um, money for that sort of thing. So you can look into that. Um, you know, as a company grows and there's revenue, there's revenue-based financing. Um, again, that can work if you have consistent growing revenue. I know some angels are working, are getting involved in that particular um, type of financing. They're not taking equity, they're just doing revenue-based financing. What that means is they put money in the company and they take a percentage of revenues until they get to X, their investment back, plus maybe some interest. I, you know, I think everybody's running it differently. So those are just some ideas, you know, sort of outside the normal um, course of business. But I do want to make sure your listeners are, when they're looking at angels, when they're looking at VC funds, I, I just want to make sure they're targeting the right people in those funds, you know, the right type of investments. There's like so many different investors these days and people specialize. So just make sure if you're going through that route that you're talking to the right type of funds, otherwise you're wasting their time and yours. So um, and I think a little research can go a long way there. Mm -hmm. Right, that's actually good advice. And just a warning to everyone listening to this one, uh, that revenue-based funds are generally for companies that like seed or series A stage where you actually have solid revenue for like at least a year or so, otherwise yeah. to risk yeah, that's correct. There's, there has to be some level of recurring revenue that, and some growth to that as well. So it's not something that you would, if you're still in product development, um, you would you would look at. It's something you would look at if you've got some recurring revenue already and you're growing and, um, you know, this is just a way to grow faster, maybe put some money into sales and marketing, you know, however. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's talk about more traditional sources of capital, angel investing. You are a member of Tourette's uh, Forum yourself, which is a big angel group. Right. What do you like to invest yourself as an angel investor? Well, I'm, you know, I'm just starting now. So this is all, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking my day job and, and, and using that knowledge to, um, to, to move into angel investing. So I'm just starting out. I am, right now I've invested, um, I, I'm, I'm investing through Portfolia and Portfolia is, um, they, they invest in women entrepreneurs and in special interest funds. They have a couple active, a couple funds that I'm um, included in and it's like active aging and longevity fund. I like the, I like what, um, what that represents. Um, there's also the Rising America Fund, which is for underrepresented founders serving underrepresented markets. Um, with Karatsu, I have just joined within the last couple months, so I'm still going through my educational process. I haven't done anything um, active with them yet, but hope to in the coming, you know, in the coming months. Um, so I am a budding angel investor, so to speak. 
Mm -hmm. Understood. So let's talk about what you like to see on the pitch deck. So as a person with a financial background, I imagine that you like to see some numbers. But <laughs> let's put aside let's put aside my my assumptions and just give us uh, three must-have points on the pitch deck for you personally. Yeah. So so the pitch deck, um, I think, needs to you know there are certain numbers that are included. They're summary numbers, but I think the um i think the entrepreneurs need to know their numbers i i there and they need to be prepared to answer questions on their numbers i um i've sat through lots of pitches and have seen some very good ones and some not so much um i'd like to see um you know they're going to have to include through your projections and one of the things they're going to need to do is provide, you know, when you build your plan for an investor, they're going to need to provide a bottoms up approach, not top down. And by that, I mean, you know, a lot of times you'll see a, a pitch that says this is a $20 million market. So $20 billion market. So if we capture 1%, we'll be a $200 million company. That just doesn't work for investors. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one thing that they need to be aware of. And then you also really need to know your key metrics. You know, what is driving your business? What's driving your industry? It's not, um, you know, and you really, really need to know. And then the other thing that I think is really important to include in a pitch deck is how are you going to use the money you're raising? An example would be we're raising $500,000. We plan to have our prototype by this date. Then we'll go out and raise another two and a half million to go to market. Or, but have it well thought through. Don't you know? Don't just slap some um, numbers on the spreadsheet and 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 think you got it handled. Um, you know, put put thought into all of this. You know, and and again, know your numbers. Have them. I mean, have them at the tip of your you know, top of mind because you're going to, a lot of pitches are very fast. And so you're going to ask questions. You're not going to have a lot of time to go through thumbing through, you know, reports or things like that. You need to know these are high level numbers. Absolutely right. So at this point, we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, call to action. So what's that one thing that you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? So two things I'm going to just really quickly, um, I think, listeners should head over to Guy Kawasaki's website and download, in addition to the projection templates, I think they should download the 10 slides you need in a pitch. It's great. It just tells you, and, this is, and it's very standard, you know, um, it just tells you the 10 slides you need in your pitch and, I, and it gives you tips and all that kind of stuff. The other thing I'd advise people to do is go ahead and um, pull down cash flow forecasts and financial projection templates and take a look at those and see, you know, and see how you can implement those as quickly as you can. I mean, even from, you know, from the very beginning, I think companies need to be careful. And I've had so many clients that, um, you know, we've had to just go in and clean up and, and, and do our best. But sometimes it, you know, we're too late. So, you know, do it early and, um, and, stay, and stay up with it. Nice. Great advice. And I'll definitely include the link to uh, Kawasaki in the description of this episode. So take a look at it for sure. And we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Georgia, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge in the financial side of the startups. I think it was a really interesting episode. Thanks for that. Well, thank you, Constantine, and enjoy your, enjoy your weekend. And um, let me know if I can help you out in any other way. Thank you.